0: Hi, this is Rachel Hine and Hannah Langdell, Duke Plastic Surgery residents on The Resident Review, a Duke Plastic Surgery podcast. This is a lecture series designed to aid in preparation for a yearly in-service examination. Our goal is to take you through high-yield topics along with experts in their respective fields in order to maximize your knowledge and potential scores. Stay tuned after the podcast for a brief message from our sponsors. Today, we'll be continuing our Quick Hits lecture series on lymphedema. Remember again to check out www.TheResidentReview for outlines to go along with our lectures. Hannah, why don't you get us started on lymphedema?
1: Lymphedema is a progressive condition characterized by local or systemic failure of the lymphatic transport system. And there are two different kinds of lymphedema, primary and secondary. Primary results from abnormally formed lymphatic channels resulting in congenital lymphedema or lymphedema developed later in life. Secondary lymphedema results from destruction or pathology of normally formed lymphatic channels. The primary role of the lymphatic system is to remove interstitial fluid from the body and return lymph, which is protein and fat, back into the blood circulation. It plays a critical role in the immune system response. When the lymphatic system is interrupted by primary or secondary lymphedema, an accumulation of of lymphatic fluid occurs. This increases the osmotic pressure and leads to fluid collection in the interstitium. This then leads to a chronic pro-inflammatory state. This results in ongoing inflammation and formation of fibrosis, a decrease in lymphatic channels and an increase in subcutaneous adipose tissue. So for types of primary lymphedema, again, primary lymphedema is characterized by an early onset of symptoms, lack of inciting events and a positive family history. So, Milroy's disease is an X-linked autosomal dominant form of primary lymphedema. It typically presents at birth with unilateral pitting edema. Patients exhibit normal growth and have a normal MRI, and there can be ocular involvement. Lymphedema praecox, this is a non-congenital form of primary lymphedema that occurs before puberty. Whereas lymphedema tarda, it's another example of primary lymphedema that mainly manifests in midlife. And then a couple of syndromes, so proteus syndrome, this can cause vascular, skeletal, and soft tissue abnormalities. And you can have lipomatosis, capillary malformations, lymphatic malformations. And then for Klippel, oh my God, it's back. klippel Trenine, you'll have limb hemihypertrophy, lymphovenous malformations, and MRI will show slow flow. For types of secondary lymphedema, any history of previous trauma, surgery, or radiation will clue you into secondary lymphedema, and many symptoms occur months to years after the inciting event. Filariasis is the most common cause of secondary lymphedema worldwide. So as I mentioned, the incidence of upper extremity lymphedema following surgery and radiation for breast cancer ranges from 4% to 49%. A sentinel lymph node biopsy results in a 5 to 7% incidence of lymphedema, and this increases to 39% after an axillary lymph node dissection and 66% after an inguinal lymph node dissection. Talk a little bit about the diagnosis. So you begin by ruling out other diagnoses, including venous insufficiency, a deep vein thrombosis, congestive heart failure, and renal failure. And there are three stages of lymphedema. So in stage one, patients begin to experience early progressive swelling from distal to proximal. And these can be corrected with elevation and compression and you'll see pitting edema. It's important to have a physical therapist measure serial limb circumference in order to follow the progression of the disease. In stage two, you'll have progressive fibrosis, adipocyte, adipocyte proliferation, and you'll have a decrease in pitting edema. There's also a decreased responsiveness to non-surgical therapies. The stemmer sign is when the skin cannot be tented and you'll typically see this at the base of the second toe and it's helpful in distinguishing lymphedema from venous insufficiency. And stage three, this is also known as lymphostatic elephantiasis and the tissue will demonstrate induration. You'll have an absence of pitting and you'll start to have dermatologic changes such as podorange, hyperkeratosis, and polypoid nodules. Rachel, do you want to take us through some of the workup?
0: Sure. So there are several different studies you can get to evaluate for lymphedema. The one that we are most commonly tested on is lymphocentigraphy. This is the first line. It assesses the function of the lymphatic channels and drainage into the lymph node basins. And it can also evaluate the severity of lymphedema and assess for anatomical abnormalities, such as obstruction or reduced lymphatic channels. So this is again, the most common and first line. Other ones include MR lymphangiography, and this has been developed to provide high-resolution anatomical images of the lymphatic system and to characterize the soft tissue changes associated with lymphedema. The indocyanine green lymphangiography, this offers real-time visualization of the lymphatic flow and is also helpful in patients who can't undergo MR or in the preoperative area or even in the operating room. Treatment of lymphedema, this is typically non-surgical or surgical, and we have been tested on both. The non-surgical treatment includes elevation, skin care, and elastic stockings that are at least 20 millimeters of mercury, which we were tested on, physical therapy, and pneumatic compression devices. Remember, this is lifelong commitment for these patients and requires a high compliance. It's otherwise known as complete decongestive therapy and is the initial form of treatment. The surgical treatment... um, the goal is to improve the patient's functional status, lessen the burden of non surgical therapies, and decrease risk of infections. There are physiologic and ablative surgeries. So, physiologic surgeries promote the anterior grade lymph flow via bypasses or induction of lymphangiogenesis. And this is only considered in the early course of the condition to optimize lymph drainage. So, we're frequently tested on patients that have lipomatous changes or fatty infiltrates. And those patients are generally not candidates for physiologic operations. There is ablative, which is the secondary form. And this is debulking areas of lymphedema to reduce morbidity, like infections or inability to ambulate. They can be performed at any stage of lymphedema and are usually, like I said, reserved for the later stages when physiologic intervention is not possible. And remember that we're frequently tested on when there's lipomatous changes. There, the two physiologic operations that we perform are the lymphaticovenous bypasses and the vascularized lymph node transfers. A lymphaticovenous anastomosis is a bypass operation that serves to redirect excess lymphatic fluid into the venous circulation by anastomosing superficial lymphatic vessels at the dermis to nearby venules. So like I said, prior to surgery, you'll do the endocyanine green mapping. And when you get to the operating room, You'll uh, identify the lymphatic channels and venials, and you'll anastomose end to end or end to side with very small suture, like 11 to 12. and then C is confirmed by visualizing the anterograde flow. And remember you want to usually complete several of these, the vascularized lymph node transfer is used when the native lymph node basins are dysfunctional. So patients after radiation or lymphadenectomy, and this technique is thought to promote local lymphangiogenesis through production of vascular endothelial growth factor the common donor sites so the donor transfers include the supraclavicular lymph nodes or the superficial inguinal lymph nodes the supraclavicular nodes are located inferiorly within the posterior triangle of the neck in the fat between the omohyoid muscle and the anterior scalene muscles and remember these are supplied by the transverse cervical vessels which i think are is very testable remember you have to be careful when you're on the left side so as to not injure the thoracic duct And then typically you'll harvest contralateral sides or so you avoid exacerbating the lymphedema that is already present. And then the superficial inguinal lymph nodes are supplied by the superficial circumflex iliac vessels via the femoral artery, which I also think is very testable. And this is located in subscarpus fat between the inguinal ligament and groin crease. And remember you want to remain superior to the groin crease in order to not disrupt the lymph nodes that drain the lower extremity. So outcomes of Lymphaticovenous bypass. So reports reveal anywhere from 35 to 50% reduction in the extremity circumference. So pretty good results at greater than one year. This same paper also revealed that there was a benefit when you perform these, in, like we said, in earlier stages of lymphedema, and then for vascularized lymph node transfers, reductions of the extremity circumference or volume has been noted to be from 30 to 60%. And this has been shown to be superior to the non-surgical treatments in lymphedema of the upper extremity. And then as far as patient reported outcomes, patients reported increased quality of life, um, for both upper and lower extremity lymphedema and then complications. So there is the dreaded complication of iatrogenic lymphedema of the ipsilateral extremity. So remember you want to do reverse lymphatic mapping to identify the critical lymph nodes of the lower extremity or upper extremity in order to avoid iatrogenic injury. All right, Hannah, why don't we, why don't you finish us up with some of the ablative techniques and the algorithm for treatment?
1: Okay. So as Rachel mentioned, ablative surgery is used for later stages of lymphedema. And the main goal of ablative techniques is to remove excess skin or subcutaneous tissue. And this serves to decrease bulk and improve the patient's functional status and hygiene. Most common is the Charles procedure. So this technique is the earliest described procedure and involves resection of skin and subcutaneous tissue to either the deep fascia or the underlying epimysium. The wounds are resurfaced with skin grafts and these skin grafts may be taken from the resected tissue. This ablates the superficial lymphatics and may cause exacerbation of lymphedema along the foot. The so staged subcutaneous excision, this is known as Homan technique. This is another method to debulk areas of chronic lymphedema without the need for skin grafting. So longitudinal incisions are made with wide elevation of skin and subcutaneous flaps. Fibrotic subcutaneous tissue is then resected down to epimysium. Redundant skin is removed, and this is repeated in stages until the extremity is sufficiently debulked. Suction lipectomy, this has been used in advanced lymphedema patients who do not have significant pitting edema. So large volume lipoaspirate may be removed. It's important to utilize compression directly after the procedure and for the rest of the patient's lives. So examples of patients requiring ablation, a patient with paniculus morbidus. This is a severe form of abdominal lipodystrophy and it prevents weight loss. So you'll perform a paniculectomy with primary closure. Liposuction and compression garments for severe bilateral low extremity lymphedema is often successful. Penile lymphedema is treated with excision and chronic lymphedema with recurrent infections is treated with excision over liposuction. So in terms of the algorithm for treatment, Patients in general are amenable to physiologic interventions if they are responsive to non-surgical therapy and have significant pitting edema. If patients are not amenable to physiologic interventions such as a lymph node transfer or lymphovenous anastomosis if they have no improvement with non-surgical techniques and are no longer experiencing pitting edema. If they have a high degree of fibrosis and increasing adiposity, it's unlikely that Connecting a venule and a lymph vessel will be effective. When choosing whether to perform a lymph node transfer or a lymphovenous anastomosis, it's important to take into account the reasons for lymphedema. So if they're secondary to surgery or radiation therapy, they may not have suitable lymphatic vessels, and it's important, again, to do the preoperative imaging to assess available vessels. Uh, And in these patients, a vascularized lymph node transfer is preferred. If they do have suitable lymphatic vessels, then you may include uh, doing an LVA in the treatment regimen or perform this alone if the lymph node basins were not destroyed. And then finally, we'll talk just a minute about lymphatic malformations. So these are treated typically with sclerotherapy, such as doxycycline. They may become infected and require excision, although this is second line for a non-complicated lymphatic malformation. An example of a lymphatic malformation is a cystic hygroma, and these are lymph-filled dysplastic vessels. You can diagnose these with ultrasound or MRI, and they're often soft and compressible. Uh, So thank you for joining us for our podcast on lymphedema, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. We
0: would like to thank Allergan for their continued support of our podcast. Allergan Aesthetics is now a part of AbbVie, an international leader in many different therapeutic categories. Many of the topics and therapies we discuss on our podcast are provided by Allergan. They continue to be a leader in the fields of breast reconstruction, abdominal wall reconstruction, medical aesthetics, and much more. Additionally, they are dedicated to supporting the education of plastic surgery residents and plastic surgeons across the country.